Hello and welcome to the January 16th, 2019 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition, another episode, another getaway for all of my people out there who enjoy listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. It is awesome to have you here with me today, and of course, it's always wonderful to be out there with you as well. So for what it's worth, I struggled a bit today to come up with a particular topic, not so much because I was lacking ideas and and certain things to talk about, but I I think I had a whole too much to talk about, and I really wasn't sure uh, where where to gear this next episode to. And as a matter of fact, I'm not even sure what I'm naming it as of yet about one minute and 16 seconds in to our podcast. With that being said, I'll give you a, a roundabout idea of some of the areas that I wanted to focus on today. And uh, I'm not going to focus on them for very long, but I just figured I would give you guys a heads up in terms of some of the things that have gone on over the course of the past two days, a uh, day and a half. First and foremost, this morning, Mr. Joe woke up with a tremendous amount of anxiety. And um, at first, I wasn't sure exactly why, but ultimately, I was able to figure it out rather quickly based on my nighttime sleep. And once again, we gear back to the whole sleep and the benefits of getting a good night's sleep and the problems associated with the fact that we are not getting a good night's sleep. I had to take a 0.25 clonopin this morning for the first time in a very long time. And I know I say that a lot, but if you think about it, you'd probably have to go back 10, 15 episodes for me to have made this clonopin claim the last time. It's just something that Mr. Joe really doesn't have to take. I have nothing against it. Um, I probably have about 14 billion of them in my cabinet, because as a psychopath would do, we tend to stock up on medications, even though we may not use them. Go figure. I mean, like a moron, up until last month, I was filling my Seroquel. Why? I don't know. Just in case, quote unquote, just in case I ever need it. Um, It's funny, because I will never forget um, in terms of medication, just to stick or stay on this topic for, for a second. And then I'll quickly get into why, unfortunately, uh, my, my day started in a very anxious way this morning. I will never forget back when I was originally kicked out of my home by the state police who knocked on the door. And for those of you who have not heard the story before, I'm not going to rehash the whole thing again. I think it's possible it might be, um, God, I wouldn't even know what episode it would be in. But essentially what went on is in coming off Cymbalta, along with five or six other medications, Cymbalta being the last one, Mr. Joe lost his mind, literally lost his mind. Now, I had already been hospitalized Four years prior to that, I had attempted suicide um, on one occasion. As a matter of fact, this day Mr. Joe lost his mind, uh, I had attempted suicide on this particular day as well. Uh, The only thing is my dad caught me in the act, so I never went through with it, obviously. And we were able to avoid an extremely um, delicate situation in which I undoubtedly would have been headed back to a hospital with rope burns all over my neck like I was the first time because I had planned on climbing up the ladder once again and hanging myself from the beams of the garage. Now, again, I was coming off Cymbalta. I was an absolute maniac. Uh, I, I came off too fast. I didn't follow any doctor's instructions. I decided to wean myself off um, in my own way, really. Now, the doctor who worked out a tapering program for me, she was not a psychiatrist. 
She was somebody who was prescribing my medication. She was a Suboxone doctor, just filling my scripts. And uh, I don't think her tapering plan would have worked anyway, but I rushed it as fast as I could, got myself off that Cymbalta. And the end results were Mr. Joe on a staircase headed down towards the basement of the home that he used to live in, crying like a baby, hanging onto the railings, begging my kids to forgive me, telling everybody how much I loved them, telling everybody how much pain I was in. Uh, at the same time, the episodes were so mixed where um, I would snap out of it for a moment and I'd be able to smile and talk. And then unfortunately, I'd get violent again and I'd start banging my head. A lot of, a lot of stuff went on. So ultimately, my ex-wife took the kids. She went to another uh, place in time. And at the moment, or at the time then, I just could not rationalize and understand. And I, um, I yelled, I screamed, I accused, I um, made sure that I scared the hell out of her because she did not take my son's um, ulcerative colitis medication with her. So, you know, I threatened her, all those things. And before you know it, my ex-wife was down at a court in Mr. Joe's neighborhood, and she filed for an order of protection in which the state in which Mr. Joe lived in automatically placed an order of protection against Mr. Joe for his children. Because anytime there is a child involved, the state will automatically get involved. So let me cut to the chase here. Um, uh, you know, I was very confused. Obviously, I had no idea what was going on. As a matter of fact, before I knew any of this, um, the way I came to find out was... I walked in from a, a day at work in which, again, somehow, some way, I was able to manage going to work. Um, I walked in. I had gone to a pet store. I purchased a bunch of crickets because at the time I had a lizard. I put the crickets in the cage or in the tank, whatever you want to call it, and then before you know it, I got a knock at the door. So I go to the door. Now, at this point in time, I had taken out my contact lenses as soon as I walked in the door because they were bothering me all day. So I now had glasses on, which um, unfortunately I could not see out of really because they were the incorrect prescription. Um, so it was like not even having glasses on. At the door were two state police, and they told me I had to leave. And I did. And the drive from my home with a dog to my parents' house was an absolute nightmare. I nearly killed myself and the animal. It was a horrible experience, but I knew that in order for me to move forward in terms of getting my life back on track, which I had no idea at the time how involved and how serious this was all going to be and how much time I'd be spending at family court, I called the police department and I said, what do I got to do here to get my belongings? I'm not allowed in my home and I need some stuff. I need a lot of stuff. So they set me up and had me meet a police officer over at my house so that they could escort me into my own home and observe me, monitor me, make sure that you know I get in and I get out. So now when I met the two police women that were parked on the corner before I actually got to my home. I said, um, hi, uh, my name is Mr. Joe. That's my home right there, as you know. Um, I'm grateful that you both met me here. And uh, what's the next step? She says, one of the uh, police officers says, well, the next step is for you to go in your driveway, get out of your car and get into your house and we'll follow you. So my response to that was, thank you, dear. Called a dear. These are some things that you just don't do nowadays, okay, based on some of the, the movements that are going on and a lot of stuff which I honestly, uh, much of it, listen, I'm not going to give an opinion right now, um, but, you know, there are a lot of things that have changed in this world and many of them I'm not too keen on or fond of, but we won't get into that now. I apologized. I went into the home and here's where the story is leading. It takes me a very long time to get to where I'm going, but... Upon going into my underwear drawer to collect some of my underwear, each movement that I made, these two police officers watched every single thing that I did. And they peeked into my drawer, and in my drawer, I had three bottles of Depakote filled to the max, 
uh, all regular Depakote. Then I had another bottle of Depakote ER. I probably had about two bottles of Cymbalta, a bottle or two of Vistarol. Um, let's see, what else was Mr. Joe on? Oh, God, the Seroquel, the Lamictal. Um, goodness gracious, what else was Mr. Joe on? Um, I don't remember, but every single medication that I was on, there were multiple bottles stashed away in the drawer because for some reason I chose to keep them and chose to continue to stock up on them. And the police officers said to me, they said, well, what, what are these things in here for? And I said, well, you know, you never know. I might need them. And they looked at me and they said, uh, we, we were under the impression based on what you said that you just weaned yourself off all this medication, which is what caused you to act the way that you did. What do you still need the medication for? Especially with two children in the house. You know, what, God forbid they get inside your drawer. I said, well, that's what safety caps are for. They weren't too happy with that response. And ultimately, what ended up happening was I never threw anything away. I just took the medicine with me. For what reason, I have no idea. And eventually, I would imagine at some point, those medicines were stashed away at my parents' house, and I must have thrown them out at one point or another, unless they're still there. God only knows. The moral of the story is, I know I have a tendency to hoard things. Now, I wouldn't refer to myself as a hoarder. Uh, my house is extremely neat, extremely um, uh, organized, extremely... Um, Plenty of space, let's put it that way. Uh, you know, nothing is crowded, very open. That's just the way I like to be. As a matter of fact, everybody at work makes fun of my desk. And they call me Mr. OCD Joe because of the way my desk is. I never have anything out on it. I don't have a lot of materials. It's not scattered. It's, it almost looks like, you know, a couple of times people have come by, co-workers, and they say, do you plan on staying here? You know, because if not, <laughs> if so, maybe you should... Uh, you know, work on your desk a little bit, and I have no intentions of doing so. So besides all that, no, I'm not a hoarder when it comes to property, but when it comes to medication, for some reason, and I don't know why, maybe it has something to do with the financial aspect of how much medication costs us and the thought process of what if, what if down the line I'm going to need this medication again? And it's crazy because I couldn't get rid of that medication quick enough in my life. It, it was, uh, in my opinion, even looking back now and saying it in the, in the present day, ultimately, two things destroyed me. Myself not being honest with the doctors. Three things, sorry. Myself not being honest with the doctors, never stabilizing myself on any kind of medication and smoking marijuana throughout the entire medication regimen, and... Three, being completely over-medicated. And, you know, they kind of all intertwine together and, and ultimately they're all, they all come down to me and my inability to really follow through with anything that I should have done if I was really trying to address my bipolar disorder. But ultimately, I came off medication because I was tired of the way that I felt. I was tired of sleeping. I was tired of floating out of my body. I was tired of watching myself in a movie. I was tired of being completely disconnected from myself. I was tired of still wanting drugs. I was tired of smoking marijuana, falling asleep, using coffee to wake myself up, taking Xanax, passing out in the laundry room and nearly setting the house on fire. I was tired of all of it. And most importantly, I didn't have bipolar disorder. I was being destroyed, so I thought. So I came off everything and then I refused to go back on anything because some moronic idiot of a therapist told me that I could function in life and deal with my bipolar disorder just through stress management. Now, I want everybody to understand that that's not true, <laughs> of course. Um, now, going back to why I woke up this morning with the anxiety, it's a very simple reason behind it. Mr. Joe had such a bad headache yesterday. It was, it was one of the worst headaches I had had. And I took Tylenol and it kind of went away a little bit. And then while we were eating dinner, myself and my wife and little Mickey, it came back a short time later. And I took Tylenol again and 
waited about an hour, and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. So my wife says to me, you need to take Excedrin migraine. So I took it. Well, two things. One, it did help. My headache went away. However, two, I was up till 2.45 in the morning. Apparently, there's caffeine in those things, and I just literally could not fall asleep. And I had to be up at 5 a.m. It was an absolutely horrible night, horrible night's sleep. Um, if I did fall asleep any time before 2.45, it was one of those sleeps where you're out, but you're not out, and you hear everything that's going on around you, and it's almost like you're sleeping, but you're awake, and I'm sure many of you can understand what that feels like. It's just a horrifying feeling. So, of course, Mr. Joe is going to wake up the following day completely anxious out of his mind, and unfortunately, I needed to take a clonopin to help calm my senses down. Now, interestingly enough, we're 16 minutes into our podcast, which is not a short podcast where, you know, in some in some way or another, we could say we're halfway through, you know, quarter way through, um, based on the previous recordings that I have made. So if I really wanted to drag out this story, I probably could and make it into an episode. Uh, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to because of the fact that upon pulling in to a different location in which I work in, I received an email. And I thought it was important. I read this email. Uh, it's a listener that I go back and forth with on occasion. Um, great guy. Just an absolutely great guy. Um, love him a lot. You know, always got great things to say. Always got tremendous insight on my podcast. Will offer advice. Will offer suggestions. Um, and I said to myself, you know what? I think this is where we're going to go today. And uh, no preparation whatsoever. Okay, we literally just got this email as of, well, it it appears it came at 11.48 a.m., Mr. Joe's time, and we're a little bit later than that, but I was just able to read it now. So I'm going to read it to you, and uh, then I will reveal who this gentleman is because he told me that it was okay if I do so. So, um, starts out, hey, Mr. Joe. How are you feeling? And I got to tell you, I love when people ask me that. It's really great because it, it's, it shows, and I cannot begin to tell you the number of people who write me who do start off that way. And it's, it's an indication to me that people, although they may be inquiring about something, they may be asking a question, concerned about themselves, looking for an answer, they always start off their emails showing me that they care about my feelings too and about the way that I'm feeling currently. So I think that's great. So anyway, this is about a paragraph long. I'm not going to stop like I did to the last one and analyze every piece of this email, but ultimately we are going to address it. So, hey, Mr. Joe, how are you feeling? Loving these last few podcasts. You're always straight up with us. And that's one of the reasons I always have and always will listen to you. And just a suggestion for a topic is I'd like to hear your Suboxone taper program as well as pros and cons to staying on Suboxone forever. I want to be free from it so bad. I want, I want to be free from it so bad, but I'm scared of the withdrawal and or the possibility that I may relapse. Just a thought. Hope to hear back from you soon. By the way, I have no problem with you reading this or mentioning my name on the podcast. Hope you have an awesome week. This gentleman's name is Brian. Brian Key, and he is from Knoxville, Tennessee. And I may have mentioned it before, I'm not sure, uh, because we've had a lot of interactions, but Brian and I have been talking for a while. Obviously, he is a Suboxone user, and um, I've had a lot of requests for some Suboxone talk over the last month or so, and I haven't really addressed it much, but that was a big, big part of Mr. Joe's life, and that was a big part of the initial podcast that I had reported on because at the time, Mr. Joe was weaning off. Now, Brian, if you go back to some of the earlier podcasts, you will find a very, very specific tapering program that Mr. Joe went through, that I developed, that worked for me, that unfortunately the only way that it would work is if you have an unlimited supply of Suboxone in which you can play around, so to speak, 
with the dosages and almost kind of throw certain pieces away, if that makes any sense. Meaning you're doing a lot of cutting, a lot of tapering, meaning you're staying on a specific dosage for sometimes two weeks at least. And then you're cutting and cutting and cutting. And when I say cutting, you're cutting your pieces of Suboxone by a hair. And I'm not exaggerating, by a hair. So in other words, what you're on right now, and you would have to go back to the previous podcast. It could be in Suboxone 101. I'm not too sure. But just to give you a general idea of what Mr. Joe did the second time around when I tapered off Suboxone, was when I was on a higher dose, and this rings true with everybody out there who is on a high dose of Suboxone, please keep in mind that, and we'll use the number 16 milligrams as a starting point. 16 milligrams is essentially two 8 milligram strips of Suboxone. They come in strips almost like, um, uh, you know, a little breath thing that you put under your tongue. That's how it is, it is administered. It's no longer in a pill, um, in a pill form, which it was once when Mr. Joe had first started Suboxone. It's a little film. And 16 milligrams would be two strips under your tongue. I will say this, Brian, and to everybody else who is out there, do not, do not, Be scared to cut those higher dosages down by a great deal. And what I mean by that, and we're going to use these numbers, 16 we'll start with. And I will say this, going from 16 to let's say 12, so in other words you'd be taking a strip and a half, okay, Um, I'm okay with that huge jump. I really am. Most people don't understand why, but I will tell you that that withdrawal from 16 to 12, if more than three days it lasts, that's a lot. You're not going to feel the withdrawals for more than three days. And do you know why, everybody? Because we are completely over-medicated by Suboxone. Suboxone is, oh God, hundreds of times stronger than methadone, believe it or not. And people don't even realize that. And, and, and people can't rationalize that because they say, well, how could that be possible? Because you could get one treatment of methadone and it could last you a long time. Suboxone, you got to take every day. Well, don't be surprised, guys. I got to tell you, the half-life of Suboxone, my good God, you know, you're talking about 72 hours. I could be a little bit off on that, but what it means is many times people will taper off and they say, well, this is easy. This is nothing. And then all of a sudden, day three hits and boom you're in big trouble. With the larger doses, because we have been fooled by the medical industry, specifically the doctors who offer Suboxone, they are putting us on way too high of a dosage to the point where our bodies really simply don't need it. And although we may think that we're getting adjusted to a certain higher amount, believe it or not, with Suboxone, less is always more. So, those big numbers, those 16 to 12, and the 12 to 8, and the 8 to 4, believe it or not, even, even the 8, uh, I'm sorry, the 4 to 2 milligrams, they're all not that bad. They're really, really not. As a matter of fact, from 2 milligrams to 1 is not even that bad. And... I'm going to stop right there. (laughs) Now, essentially, how long would I say that you have to stay on each dosage? And this is why it's very important that we have, um, you know, plenty of stuff to play around with because you're going to be doing a lot of cutting and a lot of discarding certain pieces because, you know, when you cut certain pieces and you have leftovers, those leftovers you don't really want at your beck and call because you don't want to attend to those leftovers. Those are things that you're not touching anymore, unless you could break them into something else, if that makes any sense. Two weeks. Two weeks, everybody. 14 days I want you on that dose, meaning today you decide you're going to go from 16 to 12. Okay, and that, That's the way I tapered the first time and the second time, 16 to 12, 12 to 8. 
8-4, to 4-2. to two. And in both situations, it was not that bad. Now, I went a little bit quicker the first time around. And what I mean by that is instead of going for two weeks on a specific dosage, I would try to kind of knock it out in like five days. And the problem with that was by three days you're not really feeling the effects, like I had said. So all of a sudden you start withdrawing on that second or third day and you're right in the battleground of withdrawing. And now on day five, all of a sudden, you're shocking the system even more and you're cutting your dose again. So that's why a lot of people on higher dosages will sometimes have some difficulty because they're going too fast. My recommendation would be to at least stay on those doses for a period of 14 days, okay? Uh, uh, the, the two weeks really allow you to stabilize. So what you will see happen, and we'll use eight milligrams down to four as an example, okay? You're on eight milligrams, and today you decide, I'm gonna cut down to four. So you cut down to four, day one, not so bad. Not so bad, a little anxiety, little chills, little this, little that. Day two, mm, you know, so-so. Okay, I'm, you know, I'm getting a little bit more paranoid. Uh, things are not great, not horrible. Sleeping is a little bit more difficult. Day three, you know, that might be for some full-blown, like, holy crap, now I'm pooping. Now I'm, you know, uh, now I'm urinating a lot. That's something that used to happen with Mr. Joe. One of the side effects of withdrawing and coming off um, was, was frequent, frequent urination. But... After that, with the higher doses, dosages, for some reason, each day that passes, it seems to get better. And by day 14, for the most part, you've now stabilized on that new dose, and you're feeling good again. Good enough to the point where you say, you know what? That those last couple of weeks were not so bad. Days one, two, and three, yeah, whatever. But now I don't even remember them. And it also gives you the motivation, because you're now feeling good, to say, you know what? Here I am, day 14, I feel good. Let me cut it again. And you cut it in half again to some extent, or whatever, you know. You always want to go down by about four milligrams um, or two, let's put it that way, depending on what dosage you're on, or one, you know. So, in other words, you're going 16 to 12, to 8, to 4, 4 to 2, and 2 to 1. Problem is, guys, and I'm not going to lie, that you know you are motivated on that 14 day because you've now stabilized, but to some extent you are ready to put your body back into shock now again because you're going to go through the whole process all over again. But if Mr. Joe is promising you that it's not going to be those hardcore, full-blown withdrawals, then I think you can get past that. I do. Now, I advise everybody else to go back on my episodes and listen to them about the tapering program from the time that you reach one milligram moving forward. Uh, it's probably a good idea to listen to my next episode because, or my last episode, because it's a very involved process. And essentially, and I'll just, I'll just summarize it up for you, you you need to literally take a cuticle scissor or a razor blade, okay? And you actually need to, let's say, we'll say you're on two milligrams, okay? We'll say you're on one milligram. You've worked your way down to one because it's all doable. Once you go lower than one, that's when stuff starts getting a little more tricky because your body, for some reason, starts to really feel the effects of removing that drug. So in order for you to maintain really your life ultimately um, and not lose valuable time in your life, your personal life, your work life, and find yourself you know, literally going through li a living hell like I did the first time around, you need to cut that one milligram literally by like a hair. And each piece that you cut, you're saving for the next cut. Why are you doing that? Because you're saving that last piece that you cut just to give you an idea of what you cut last time so you don't cut too much. It's almost there. It's almost going to be there as a model for you. Uh, you know, in other words, 
you took a little slice off. Once again, you're going to wait two weeks. You are going to stay on that dose for two weeks. That's why it seems like it takes forever, the tapering process. And I am okay if it takes you three months to taper. Even longer. I don't care. But it has to be done slowly. And the slower you do it, the better off you'll be. And why I ask you to save that piece that you've just sliced off again is because you now want to, and this is where it gets tricky, because, and, and why I say you need an ongoing dose, you're now going to take another one milligram piece from another strip of some sort, because obviously you can't take, you can't take uh, you know, what you've had, what you just administered, because it's gone. So you're going to take another one milligram piece and you're going, to comp- you're going to take that little slice that you made two weeks ago, okay, and you're going to use it as a model and you're going to say to yourself, well, now I am going to cut the exact same amount again and be on that dose for two weeks or I'm going to take it, take it even further, and I'll make this cut a little bit bigger than the last time I dropped down. So it's almost like a hair every single time. Now, here's the other reason why you need a lot of extra strips is because you're never going to be accurate each day. If Now, let's say we start from the beginning here, and you decided you're going to go down from one milligram, and you're going to just cut off a little strip. Okay, and stay on that for two weeks. You can't cut off the same exact strip each and every day and think that it's going to be accurate. So, unfortunately, what you got to do each every every two weeks is you want to take almost like a stack, a stack of those one milligram strips. You put them in a pile, and then you're slicing or cutting that little strip off, and you should have 14 days. Turn it into 14 days. Sometimes if you're slick enough, you could take a whole... I mean, really what you should essentially be doing is using a whole 8 milligram strip, cutting that into 8 pieces, being on that 1 milligram strip, and then when you're ready... Or 1 milligram piece, very tiny, and when you are ready to drop down again, you're literally putting a stack of 1 milligram little little squares... And you're cutting all of them at once. So each day, your dose is going to be the same. But remember, that piece that you've cut off from that stack, you got to save that. Because when you're ready to drop again in two weeks, you either want to make sure you cut again the same exact amount off, or if you're feeling tough, cut a little bit more. And believe it or not, Mr. Joe was, for the most part, always able to cut just a tad more than I had cut last time. There was some withdrawal periods that were worse than others and there were times where day 14 would come wasn't often but I would turn around and I'd say you know what I don't think I could make another drop I don't think I could do this I just got out of hell you know last week this this last drop really you know unfortunately lasted four days five days six days and the the beautiful thing about that is when it's lasting four, five, six days, they're never going to be as intense, the withdrawals, because you're cutting such a little piece, as it would be as if you were to stop Suboxone altogether. So your body goes through this little adjustment, but quickly kind of recovers. Again, there are some periods where some are easier than others, and if you get to day 14 and you say to yourself, you know what, I need another four days on this exact dose, well, then you go for it. You go for it, and you just make sure that you're dosage remains the exact same that you've been taking for the last 14 days stay on until day 18 and then if you're ready cut again but you're always cutting the littlest possible amount um, until you get down to nothing and essentially what mr joe ended up being on was basically the size of a period mark that's what i was on if you look at a sentence that you're reading in a book and you look at what a period looks like, that's the size I was on. And I was on that. Finally, I got down to that size, and I was on it for two weeks. And I said to myself, one of two things is going to happen. Two weeks is going to come, and I'm going to have to make more period marks because I'm not ready to come off, which, by the way, happened, if I can remember correctly. I just wasn't ready. Or 
You're just going to say, screw it. It's just a period, Mark. Now I'm ready to rock and roll. And whatever the case may be, I will tell you this, whether I had to stay on that period, Mark, for a few extra days, whenever I came off, I was pleasantly surprised to recognize the fact that the withdrawals were absolutely nothing. Nothing like the first time around when I withdrew from Suboxone. Now, why were they so different? Why were the experiences so different where the first time around, it took me 188 days to feel normal again? It took me 106 days to actually be able to write about my experience in a forum, in the Suboxone forum. And I still felt like crap until day 188. But at least it was starting to turn the corner. It was by far the worst experience of my life. I'm not going to lie, Brian. It was the hardest thing I ever did the first time around, which had me anticipate the second time around that it was going to be just as hard, and I was scared to death to come off it because I never wanted to experience that again. So it's real scary. It's real scary. So you have every right in the world, Brian, to be scared as hell to come off. However... The difference between rushing it and cutting little pieces the size of a hair. The size of a hair, literally. So you get down to little dots and you're just breaking little dots and using a cuticle scissor and, you know, things like that. When you do it that way, it's like two different worlds. Two different worlds. Now, just so everybody understands, and I've said this before also, the first time that I came off to boxing, understand this. I was forced to do so because Brian, you know, he makes a statement here and says, I want to be free from it so bad, but I'm scared of the withdrawal and the possibility that I might relapse. Um, and I get that. I get that. You know, what do I, what do I think about staying on forever? The pros and the cons. Well, let me tell you this during that whole family court situation, when I was finally, um, well, sorry, when I spoke with the Child Protection Agency, they came to visit me um, about three days after. I revealed all my drug usage that I was not even on drugs. I had been clean for years at this point. Years. But like a moron, I decided to reveal my cocaine usage and my Oxycontin usage and because I was so proud of where I had come from and how much progress I had made, little did I know they were going to use that against me and have me tested in court. And of course, marijuana would come up into my system. And from that point on, everything changed in my life where I had to go to substance abuse and an outpatient program, all based on marijuana, a domestic violence um, assessment, all kinds of crap. But here's where I'm going with this. The reason why I came off the first time, everybody, Brian included, is because the Child Protection Agency sat at a table with myself and my parents and they said that it doesn't matter what drugs I'm not doing anymore, the fact that I'm on Suboxone for the last three years shows them that I'm still a drug addict, I'm still reliant on something, and the only way I could function is by being on a drug. Now, fast forward to what I ended up doing, which was was come off of Suboxone, ultimately became the best decision I ever made in my life. But while I was going through the whole process, I just couldn't understand it. And I just want everybody to know that statement made by that child protection worker was probably one of the most ignorant things that anybody could have said. There is nothing wrong with medication-assisted treatment. Nothing wrong. And I got to tell you, Brian, if you are scared of a relapse, if you're scared of the withdrawals and you're not ready, I would stay on. I really would until you are ready. You'll know when you're ready. And if you feel ready now, say to yourself, well, Mr. Joe had two different experiences like night and day, and I want to have the same experience as Mr. Joe. And you want to know something, Brian? If none of this is making sense to you, I'll get on the phone and talk with you. And I'll explain it all to you and I'll talk you through it. As a matter of fact, anybody who wants to talk to Mr. Joe about this, I will explain it all to you. I mean, let me ask you this as an audience. What would be more beneficial in your life? 
being on Suboxone for the rest of your life or methadone for the rest of your life and living a life where you're able to provide for your family, to make money, to go to a job, to go to a gym, to be healthy, to eat right, to stay away from drugs altogether, or would you rather come off it and be a heroin addict? You tell me. Now, thankfully, Mr. Joe has gotten his life on, on, together in a way where, how do I say this? I've done the right amount of drug counseling, the right amount of counseling, you know, um, inpatient, outpatient. I've been through it all. So I came to a point in my life where I knew I was ready. And more importantly, and this is not an excuse by any stretch of the imagination, but I knew in my heart that once I was medicated properly for bipolar disorder, that was a big thing and a big reason as to why I would choose to reach for the Suboxone. Because for me, not only did it stop my cravings of opiates and cocaine and all those things, which it's not supposed to do, but it did for Mr. Joe. Essentially, for me, it worked as an antidepressant. And the first time around when I went through that whole family court disastrous thing and I had to go through an inpatient program, I told the doctors there, the psychiatrist at the time, that they the child place wanted me off the Suboxone. And even he was a little bit, you know, like, well, why? Why do they want you off if it's working? And, you know, I told him I was on for three years. And at the time, I was still completely against medication. I had no desire to go back on it. And um, I was on one milligram at the time. <laughs> and his taper program was, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to cut your one milligram in half. So now you're going to be on 0.5 milligrams. You do that for three days. And then I want you to go a day without taking it. Get back on, take it. Go a day without taking it. Take it again the next day. Don't take it for two days. Take it again the next day. Don't take it for three days. Take it again. The... It all sounded good. It all sounded good. The problem is, for me, coming off that small little dosage of 0.50 milligrams nearly destroyed my life because I didn't taper well enough. I didn't taper to that period mark. And from the moment I started that tapering program that was given to me by my doctor, essentially jumping off only a 0 0.50 milligram of Suboxone, essentially jumping off after one week of kind of going down, you know, from one to this every other day crap. Uh, one day I just turn around, I'm like, I'm just jumping off it. Well, for Mr. Joe, that was way too high to jump off of. It won't be that case for everybody, but for Mr. Joe, it was a nightmare. And that's when the hell began. That's when the hell began. So, rule of thumb when it comes to Suboxone. And by the way, just so everybody knows, that was when I reintroduced Wellbutrin back into my life for the first time because my depression was so severe. And this is there in the time when I went for the interviews and all that stuff. And it was a very difficult time in my life. I started working again all while I was going through Suboxone withdrawals. Um, 90 days, guys, 90 days, I would go to the bathroom six, seven, eight times a day. Eight times a day for 90 days. That is how messed up my stomach was. 90 days of uncontrollable in, or uncontrollable bowel movements where I had to stop at every damn fast food restaurant in Mr. Joe's neighborhood as I would drive from point A to point B because I couldn't hold my poop in. Compare that to the second experience in which I tapered very slowly and a little bit at a time and I have to tell you, I don't even recall having any major stomach issues. Now, it definitely was an adjustment, but oh, for the most part, my stomach would clear up after a few days. And so, so nothing was stretched out, Brian, the second time around. It was hell, don't get me wrong, but the hell was not lasting very long. You know, there would be some days would be easier than others, but for the most part, and I say this with all honesty, as Mr. Joe always is, I don't recall a time during my second tapering program when I did it slowly, a little bit at a time, I don't recall a day where it was unbearable. Every day was bearable. Every day. Now the first time around, every day that passed, 
was more unbearable than the last. You would think that things would get better. Nope. Nope. As the days went on, Mr. Joe's chills got worse. The sleeping got worse. I mean, I slept an hour a night. That's it. Slept an hour a night. Wasn't allowed to use any Klonopin, Xanax. I was tested for drugs. I wasn't allowed to use it at that time. I would sleep an hour. If I was lucky, two hours a night. Every damn day was worse than the next. It was an absolute nightmare. I don't know what was worse. The pooping, the chills, the anxiety. I mean, it was, it was just horrifying. I could hardly eat. I mean, and this is because I jumped off, in my opinion, too high of a dosage. And people think I'm crazy. Because I say 0.50 is a high dosage. For me, it was. Maybe there are some people out there that can jump off it too. And not go through hell like Mr. Joe did. And not experience what's called pause. Post-acute withdrawal syndrome. Very real. Look it up. As a matter of fact, we're going to do an episode on pause. Because those who are alcoholics and are coming off Suboxone and or, and or alcohol, they produce the same pause effect. Same exact effect. If, you, if you've stopped alcohol and you're withdrawing, you have those acute withdrawals where all the crap goes down in the beginning. Think about, think about heroin. You, know, you have acute withdrawals. You stop. You're pooping. You're throwing up. You're, you know, this lasts for a couple of days. And then eventually your body recovers with post-acute withdrawal syndrome you go through those initial acute withdrawals, of course, but then the remaining withdrawal stays with you for an extended period of time. And the first time around, unfortunately for Mr. Joe, it lasted 188 days. Night and day, guys. Night and day when you do it the right way. It's all bearable. I made it through. Brian, I promise you if you do it that right way, you will make it through. It won't be so bad. You will be fine. Absolutely fine. But you also, you know what makes me believe, Brian, that you're not ready? Is that you use the word relapse. And of course, we're all susceptible to relapse at one point in our life or another. Come on. Mr. Joe has already relapsed during this, these podcasts. Okay, maybe not with Oxycontin or opiates, but I, I drank alcohol. Not a good thing. But I never had those, you know, those words never came out of my mouth. Well, what if I relapse? And I think you meant it with all, you know, all good intentions. And you're just, you know, conversating and just saying, what if? I really do believe that. It was just more of a, hey, Mr. Joe, what if? And I get that. Until you're ready to say to me, Brian, you know what? There is no what if. I want off this medication because I am ready to come off. And opiate abuse is no longer an option in my life. And whatever you need to do to make sure that that is not an option, whether it's continuous NA meetings or AA meetings or outpatient clinics or whatever it may be, group therapies, individual therapy, um, you know, I don't know. But you have to, besides the tapering program, you have to have a plan because you just can't come off and think that everything is going to work out well and you're never going to abuse drugs again. You've got to have a plan. For me, my plan was simple. Be medicated properly. I was lucky enough that ultimately that second time around, that was the root cause of why I was using Suboxone because I was using it as an off-label antidepressant. Which, quite honestly, the first time around, guys, I mean, I had been using Oxycontin for only a period of six months Six months. We're not talking years. Six months Mr. Joe abused OxyContin. Now listen, I'm not looking for an award because anybody who abuses drugs, it's not a good thing. But six months, man, to be under the care of a Suboxone doctor for three and a half years? I mean, come on. It all comes down to money. They wanted my 150 bucks a month, and that's that. So it is doable. It is possible. For those of you who are not interested in Suboxone or take Suboxone or have any care about Suboxone, I apologize for this long rant and 
um, the information that I conveyed in this episode, but there are a great deal of us out there that are taking Suboxone, that are looking for this Suboxone-type support, so I thought it was important that I conveyed this information to everybody, and I most, most especially want to thank Brian for giving me a great topic to talk about and um, you know, for having the desire to want to learn, to ask questions, to want to better his life, and again, coming off Suboxone, not for everybody, means essentially bettering your life. You're not going to better your life if you're going to start using drugs again. I'd rather you stay on Suboxone. If you're going to go out and steal to buy drugs, if you're going to go sit out on a corner, if you're going to shoot heroin, if you're going to snort Oxycontin, if you're going to take Vicodin after Vicodin when you come off of Suboxone, and of course, none of us can predict what might happen in terms of a relapse, but if that's essentially the way things have gone in your life, and, and especially if you've tried multiple times, or if you're just petrified to come off, stay on for now. Stay on. Stay on until you're ready. And when you're ready, you reach out to Mr. Joe, and Mr. Joe will support you, and I don't care if it's in person. I honestly don't. I know none of you know who I am. You, you haven't seen my face. But you know what? If there's one or two of you out there that I have to make contact with, that I have to sit down with and, and write out a plan, if I have to do it over the phone, if you live in Mr. Joe's neighborhood, you know, obviously we can only develop that relationship through trust. But that's the extent that I would go for my audience and my family because I want everybody out there to be well. I want you all to be well. I'm tired of us suffering. I'm tired of us battling. I'm tired of us living a life of ups and downs and addictions and different jobs and different relationships and questions that go unanswered and different medications and different side effects and really never knowing one day to the next where the hell we are in life. The good thing is Mr. Joe knows for the most part, but my heart goes out to those of you who are not sure where you are right now in life, because I've been there, and I've done that, and I have my moments of weakness, don't get me wrong, like now, but man, I swear to God, on my children, I care about all of you just as much as I care about myself, because I want us to live a productive and happy life. That's the God's honest truth. I love you guys, and I apologize. I'll be back in a couple of days. If you need to reach out, Mr. Joe, bp at yahoo.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Bipolar Joe. And don't forget, Mr. Joe is always here for you. If you guys are living with a mental illness right now and you're doing well, I ask that you continue to work hard. If you are struggling right now, with a mental illness. You know, I'm so out of sorts, guys. I can't even get my ending straight. Man, support people that you love. And if you are struggling right now, I'm not going into a whole speech. Guys, soldier on. Soldier on. Thank you for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Everybody have a great day. Talk to you again soon.